good morning. It's nice to see everybody here. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we'll read the first 20 verses. Matthew chapter 15, reading at verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother... What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And God will bless what we've read from his word. Now we've been proceeding through Matthew's gospel and uh, this this, uh, chapter begins with Pharisees and scribes coming and uh, challenging Jesus, shall we say. Um, But there's a bit of a difference here. Elsewhere when we've read so far, it's tended to be scribes and Pharisees who were local um, who were coming to, to Jesus and criticising him. So we read earlier how uh, some scribes and Pharisees criticised the fact that the disciples plucked grain on the Sabbath and they were not honouring the Sabbath. And from what I can gather, looking, the, the context would sort of suggest that these were people who were around Jesus at the time when he was preaching in Galilee. But here we see... The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, and these people, I think, had been sent. They were uh, commissioned to go as a delegation from Jerusalem, from the capital, from where the temple was, from where the seat of power of the religious leaders was, and of course the seat of power of the, um, the political system as well. But these people came... And this was, if you like, an official delegation coming to challenge Jesus as to why certain things happened. And we'll come to that in a minute. And what was interesting was that these people came and they were focused on asking particular 
questions, one of which we read about in this. There might have been others that we don't read about, but certainly the one we read about. And that suggests to me that by this time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, he was attracting attention well outside his local geography. And news had been spreading that there was somebody preaching and preaching a message that didn't quite go with the official line. And so this delegation was sent. And that's, that's the context. Another thing that's just worth saying at the beginning, um, just to set it clear, is there's a lot we read about washing hands before meals. The issue was not that it's a good idea to wash your hands before you have food, because that's sanitary. The issue was a ritual washing of hands. So it wasn't the good practice of keeping your hands clean before you sit down to have a meal and uh, and simply washing your hands but it had become a ritualistic thing and people went through this rite of washing their hands as a religious thing right? so it wasn't simply sanitation um, it was to do with a religious theme so bear that in mind so don't go away saying oh Jesus says we don't need to wash our hands before we eat, eat any food so I'm just going to eat my eat my food with uh, dirty hands and I'll not come to any harm. That wasn't what the issue was. So that having been said, we'll really just focus on, on the rest and say no more about that aspect of it for now. But the overall theme that we read about here, the, the issue of ritual washing of hands and, and the various other things we've read about, really the sort of umbrella that I want to put over the whole thing is the fact that when you allow man's ideas to sit alongside God's truth, then it's damaging. And it's damaging in various ways, and we'll come to some of these later. Um, I accidentally discovered some alliteration, so I made a point of um, making sure all my points were alliterative, so uh, you, can, you can watch for the, the D's coming through. But it was damaging, right, this adding to God's, God's truth. So as we come to the passage then and think what was happening without going down it verse by verse per se these people came and the challenge that they made to the Lord Jesus was why do you allow your disciples to eat food without ritually washing their hands and then there's the punchline that goes against the tradition of the elders the elders being the phrase they used for learned men, rabbis that had come before in time and I think in the tradition the longer ago it was that a man lived the greater venerated he was so the interesting thing is that they were not coming along to the Lord Jesus these scribes and Pharisees and saying Moses in the law taught us that God had told him that da 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 what they were saying it was this is amplifying of course but what they were saying the message was after the law given by God through Moses learned men have made up some rules and one of these rules is to do with ritual washing of hands and that you would be defiled and unable to participate in religious ceremonies of the Jews if you didn't wash your hands before you ate and they acknowledged by the very asking of the question that they weren't actually asking Jesus why his disciples broke God's law they were saying 
you've broken the rules that we represent as in the tradition of the fathers, the tradition of the elders. So when Jesus was countering their claim and discussing things with them, what he did was he took them back to what God had said. And he took them back to the law of Moses. Now, of course, it was God's law, but it was talked of as the law of Moses because it was what Moses had written and what Moses had revealed directed by God. And what they had done was they had distorted it. This is the first D. They distorted it. They had added a little bit and it was kind of like what the Bible said, what the law said. But they just twisted it a little bit and added their own distortions to it. Well, surely it would be a good idea that we ritually washed our hands before we ate food, as well as all these rituals that God has given us in the law. And, in fact, if someone doesn't do it, they really should be treated as being unable to participate in the normal rituals that are part and parcel of um, a, a Jew's daily life and so on. So they distorted what God had said by adding something to the truth. And that thing became, by this time, something that was of great importance to them. And then we read the example that Jesus gave. And he taught them very clearly back to the truth of what Moses had had recorded from God. And he used an example that to us seems quite astonishing when you first read it about how to deal with your parents. But if we start to think about things that we might do in life, we wouldn't necessarily do this thing, but we can see how we could fall into similar traps. What they'd done was... The commandment said, honour your father and your mother. Crystal clear, absolutely black and white. It's interesting that the the commandment didn't say, honour your father and your mother until you're married and you've left the house. Um, It says, honour your father and your mother. And that was intended in God's law to be something that would persist for as long as you lived and certainly it would obviously mean as long as your parents lived you should honour them and that honour could mean various things but one key aspect of honouring your parents would be to make sure they were looked after so if I just think of my own mother if my mum was living in poverty and she could barely afford food to eat and her house was barely above freezing because she couldn't afford the gas bill. And I'm sitting at home with the heating bunged up, eating my meals quite happily with not a care in the world for my mother and the fact that she's impoverished, as it were. Then by no stretch of the imagination could I claim that I was honouring my mother. Now, there are all sorts of other examples you might think about of things that you could do that represent dishonouring your parents but that's the type of thing real world physical things of looking after parents so that's a good lesson for us all to learn of course that we should remember that 
But what these people had done was they'd invented a rule that said, what you're allowed to do is to say, these goods of mine are dedicated to God. I've specially dedicated them to God. And then turn around to your parents and say, I'm really sorry, but I don't have anything left to give you because I've dedicated everything to God. Now, when I first heard about this many years ago, you know, in, in reading it, I assumed that what it meant was people were, in, mod- in modern parlance, as it were, putting their hand in their pocket at the collection and they were putting money in the collection as it was going round and they were handing over vast swathes of money, more than they needed to, and then were saying to their parents, I don't have any money left because I've given it to the church or the synagogue in, in their case. Or, I don't have any time left because you know I'm doing all this in God's work. But that wasn't it. What they were doing was they were saying, well, um, my new car that I just bought, I'm dedicating the use of that to God as I drive about in it. And um, as I go on my holidays and use my car, I'm dedicating the use of that car to God. That's how warped things were. So you can see how things were being distorted. And they then said, well, I'm sorry, Mum, Dad. I spent all my money in my car. I don't have any money left for you. So you'll just have to make do with a couple of carrots a day type of thing. Now, t- as we think about that, we think how outrageous it is. But the key thing to get across is that these are the things that prevailed in the Lord Jesus' day as religious teaching. And rules that men had added to God's word to allow them, basically, to do what they wanted to do under the pretense of following God. And the Lord Jesus says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You've taken God's word and you've replaced it and made it void with your own rules. They'd gone further than just diluting it. They'd actually, in effect, destroyed God's word. Now, God's word cannot be destroyed. But if I use that as a way of describing what they had done in their minds, Jesus says they had made God's word void. Of no effect. They'd made it empty. Now, just to be absolutely clear, I'll say it again. God's word is never empty. God's word has the significance and the power that it was given with and always will have and is eternal. But in their minds and in their heads, they had made it of no effect. And what they'd done was they'd replaced it with rules that suited them. And they were living to these rules because it suited their purpose. And it was all dressed up as worshipping God in their religious system. And then the Lord Jesus, in in speaking to them, um, he moves from speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees and answering their question to speaking to the rest of the people. And as the Lord Jesus often did, he would speak in pithy sayings and say something um, very very memorable to the people. And the message he had for the people, in this case, was it's not what goes into your mouth that matters, it's what comes out of it. 
So just to link it back to the hand washing, clearly the idea was that if you got your hands dirty and you're eating your food, dirt, germs, whatever gets into your mouth. There was also, of course, all the rules that the law had about the types of food that were clean and unclean, which God had given with good reason. But the Lord Jesus says, rather than being too worried about what goes into your mouth that you're eating, really worry about what comes out of your mouth delivered by your tongue. And he then teaches them a much more powerful message. And what he says is that it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person, not what goes into it. So the rules that they had, that the Pharisees and the scribes had made, and gone all the way back through centuries, had evolved and built up, and the people were trying to live by, and becoming increasingly burdensome. These rules, they were being told, defiled them. But Jesus said, no. The reality is it's what goes on inside you that defiles you. And there's that list that he, he gives of things that come from the heart. Verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. And the Lord Jesus was teaching them that they shouldn't, the people, that they should not be obsessed with what the Pharisees and the scribes were telling them they should avoid touching and eating and you know, ritually cleansing their hands for and all the rest of it. They should be worried about what's going on within themselves and being expressed in the words that they speak. Because these are the things that indicate what's going on in your heart. These are the things that indicate what it is that occupies our thoughts. And the things that we, we read about that were in that list, these evil things come about and we end up speaking about them, says the Lord Jesus, and it reveals what we're thinking. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But the disciples said, as we finish off thinking about the Pharisees, did you know the Pharisees were offended by what you said? They were possibly a bit incredulous because I suspect that for the disciples to have um, encountered a delegation from Jerusalem of senior Pharisees and scribes who had come to check out what Jesus was teaching and to ask him questions, the, the esteem in which these people were held, I suspect the disciples were thinking, well, you know, Jesus upset them. This is bound to have consequences. But you know, these people are supposed to know what they're talking about. There must have been thoughts like that going through their mind. And they said to Jesus, do you, do you know that you've, you've offended them? And he said, of, of course I know I've offended them. Now it's not a good idea to willy-nilly go about causing offence just for the sake of it. And saying things to people that wind them up or whatever. But when the truth causes people to be offended... The problem doesn't lie with the truth. The problem lies with the person who takes offence at it. So these Pharisees were obviously 
still after Jesus had pointed things out to them they were still so hung up on their rules that had come from the tradition of the elders that they still didn't get what the truth was that had come from God through Moses in the law even though Jesus had been telling them about it and they took offence and presumably went away back to Jerusalem and then in Jerusalem fomented this starting of a plot that became the, the committed desire of the rulers to have Jesus put to death which of course we come to so graphically later on in the Gospels so here we are and Jesus describes them as the blind leading the blind it's a phrase that has uh, spread from the Bible translated in English into everyday English isn't it the blind leading the blind still a phrase that people would use and understand what that means and says Jesus when the blind lead the blind both of them fall into the ditch as an aside it was one thing being critical of the blind leaders but we also must remember that the people that they were leading Jesus was describing as blind and we need to remember that there are many who are just blinded to the truth but there's another aspect which is people who follow after somebody blindly when that person that's their leader is blind and they don't assess the quality of their leader they fall into the ditch they'll allow them to be they'll allow themselves to be led in a path that causes them to fall into the ditch so we always need to ensure that the people we're following aren't blind to the truth but are following the truth as opposed to some human ritual or some human interpretation so what had happened was with all of these things going on people had become distracted they had started the people this is rather than the rulers they had become distracted from God's work because the men who were their leaders were focused not on God's word but in their distorted and diluted and downright wrong by the end of it interpretations of what God's word said and people allowed themselves to be distracted away from God's word and to focus on the wrong things and there's a grave danger isn't there that that can happen still in the present day that instead of thinking about what God's word has to say we get caught up on what we would like it to say the thing that I've said this before but the thing that kind of strikes me about the, the religious system that prevailed in the Roman world which of course was the major thing that, um, that prevailed in the Lord's time when he was here on earth was that they had a multiplicity of gods lots and lots of different gods now we would know of some of them by name Mars, their god of war there's a planet named after him and so on and so forth and Mercury uh, was a Greek god wasn't he? he was a messenger and Venus and these names that we know about and one of the characteristics of having multiple gods that the Romans were able 
if you like, to um, exploit personally was they could choose which God they wanted to make important. And people would choose the God that was to do with the thing they were interested in. So, if you were a soldier, you would worship the God of war. If you're inclined towards art, you would worship a goddess of art. And guess what? These gods liked you to do the things that you did. But that, of course, was circular because that was because you'd chosen them for that reason. They were fictitious people, of course. They weren't real people. But their myths had developed and people were able to choose the one that suited them so that it condoned what they did. And you could march out as a soldier and brutally kill people and offer sacrifices to your God because that's what he wanted you to do. You could be sexually immoral and offer sacrifices to your God because that's what she wanted you to do. And so it went on. And people were able to do what suited them. Now, that was an extreme that is different than what we're particularly speaking about here. But when we put it back into this context, that's akin to what was happening in that time. People were changing God's word to make it suit what they wanted. And the message that Jesus was teaching was, God's word is God's word is God's word. It was given at a point in time. Each piece given at a point in time. And it is as true today as it was on the day it was given. And God doesn't change his mind about things because his mood changes. And when God makes rules or declares things to be a certain way, then that's because that's the way they are. And we have no right whatsoever as his created beings to determine what it is that he probably really meant. Now, it's, it's, not a, it's far from being a perfect example but if you had a pet, a dog, and it could speak and voice its behaviour and actually say, um, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, rather than just look at you and not do things, you'd be saying, goodness sake, you're the dog. You will go in your cage. You will eat this food. You will do this. Who do you think you are to argue with me? Now that's a weak example but in relation to telling God that we think what he probably should have done was set the rules this way or that or that we've now become enlightened and realised that things have moved on a bit since God said these things and he needs to move with the times what a ridiculously arrogant and wrong thing for a person to say and yet we hear it that was what was characterising these scribes and the Pharisees. It was the tradition of the fathers. Things have moved on since Moses. We've added the rules that do this and do that. Now, of course, the nature of their religion was it was very rules-oriented. 
what we see now in the 21st century is not more rules piling in, although arguably in a sense there are rules, but we see people saying we need more freedoms. We need the freedom to just arbitrarily choose the gender we fancy being, and nobody should dare to tell us that we have to stick with what our biology says. We need the freedom to marry whoever we wish, whatever their biological sex. We need the freedom to. We need the freedom to. And it seems to be that, you know, every year something new that was unimaginable hits the news that people are looking for to express their freedom. And, of course, for many, it's a case of, well, what's it got to do with God? Because the people promoting these things would deny the very existence of God. But when we read of people claiming that they're Christians, as these scribes and Pharisees would have seen themselves as the ones upholding the traditions, being the ones who are following the law of God, the God of Israel, when you hear people proclaiming, as it were, from a biblical stance, that we need to change with the times, then there's something wrong with that. And we must always come back to what God's word says. And we must always avoid distorting it or diluting it. Because when that happens, we end up being distracted from it, away to something else. Not just distracted, but we end up being diverted away from it. You can be driving along the road and looking out the window and you get distracted from the road and you hear the rumble strip under your wheel and you realise that you've taken your eye off the road and you pull yourself back in or if there is no rumble strip you might find that it's a bit late because you've hit the grass on the side. But when you get to a bit in the road and you see a diversion sign and you start to follow it and then you end up miles away from where you want it to be then people looking on can say, I don't know why he went that road really, because it's not taking them anywhere they want to go. And the person can be following it blindly. Despite the fact that perhaps one of the signs that should have been there to tell them to turn right a couple of miles back has blown down in the wind, and they've been diverted, and they're on the wrong path, and they're miles away from where they should be. And these things come about when God's word is not treated as treated in the way it should be and treated as infallible and correct for all time. But when we come to think about the second part and the latter part, as I said, we'd come back to it. The teaching that the Lord Jesus applied to the people from this was Actually, don't get hung up and get diverted about what goes into your mouth. Worry about what's coming out of your mouth. Because that will tell you what's in your heart. It can be easy for us, isn't it, can't it, for us to say, well, I know what he's thinking because I heard him say such and such. Jesus didn't say to the people, what comes out of your neighbour's mouth is what is in his heart. And that will give you deep insight to what he's thinking. No, Jesus spoke to them directly and he said, what comes out of your mouth 
is coming from your heart. And you see, rather than being vague and thinking about general rules for how it affects other people, Jesus brought it right back to the people to whom he was speaking, and it applies today in November 2021 to each one of us as we read the words and the Lord Jesus speaks to us through history as recorded by Matthew inspired by the Holy Spirit and the word you is right there and these things that come out of your mouth come from your heart and speaking to myself and mine too of course And all of these things that Jesus listed are demonstrably evil things. They're actions that we would more than frown upon. So much damage can be done by what is said. James writes about that later in our Bibles. But the emphasis here is not so much on the damage that's done by what you say the emphasis on the fact that the tongue and what comes out the mouth is the evidence of what's going on in your head in your heart and Jesus is teaching that the very fact that we say these things the very fact you're speaking like that indicates that in your heart is where the defilement lies in your heart is where the sin lies it's not that you're nice and good and wonderful and because of something that came into your mouth you've become unclean the Lord Jesus is teaching a clear message which is right from within us there is and again he's using the language of the that the people would have understood in their context of the Old Testament defilement and uncleanness that prevented them from taking part in religious ceremonies they were unable to offer sacrifices because they were unclean they were unable to do things because they were unclean and they had to make good with other sacrifices now we're not going to go into all the details of what the Jews did uh, in accordance with the law but the big thing was this uncleanness and defilement these people understood that it was stopping them getting access to God and Jesus was teaching that that comes from our heart and it's not something that if you like happens to us and we're just innocent victims walking through life we're actually guilty from the core of these things now if the Pharisees were offended at being told that the rules had made void the word of God we're going to recognise that these things that Jesus was teaching were causing people offence and it's possible that as I'm speaking your inherent reaction is who does he think he is well I'm I'm only trying to do my best to say what Jesus was saying what the son of God was saying what the bible was saying and it's not said with the purpose of saying so get out you're not allowed in here the 
purpose of saying these things and the purpose Jesus had in teaching these things was so that people might learn the damage that had, that they were uh, experiencing the damage that had been caused in their lives the damage that their hearts were in and that it needed to be fixed and the way in which we come to that resolution of that problem is first of all to recognise that that's the type of people we are we can never be right with God if we think we deserve to be the way to become right with God is to realise that we don't deserve it and to start thinking about how we can be made right and to realise that all of the wrong things we experience and all the bad things we experience that the, the vast majority some, some are external of course but the majority of things have got something to do with how we are in ourselves and the root cause is our sinfulness and therefore we cannot be with God but the wonderful thing as we read through the rest of the gospel of Matthew and the remainder of our New Testament is that we learn that the very purpose that Jesus had in coming was to put that right by offering himself as a sacrifice so that by trusting in him believing in him not by doing things the way the Pharisees wanted the people to live but by trusting in the fact that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to God that was acceptable a perfect sacrifice and that if only we believe that that sacrifice that he gave is sufficient to allow God to forgive us then God will forgive us that's the transformational power of the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made of which you can avail yourself he didn't make it in such a way that automatically every man, woman and child would be forgiven by God. The, the process, if you like, the approach is that we have to believe that it does and trust God that it does and inherently in that accept that we don't deserve anything from God because of our sinfulness. So it's not about what we prevent from getting into our bodies. It's not about the rules that we follow. It's not about creating a set of rules that allow us to shun our responsibilities and pretend we're being all self-righteous and goody-goody two-shoes and I'm doing better than what the law commanded because I've given God all this stuff. As they, as they did with their parents. It's not about doing something. It's about recognising that the problems we have in our relationship with God start from within us. And the solution to it is recognising that when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary and offered himself as a sacrifice that can be your substitute in believing that and in trusting implicitly in that as being your only hope before God to put right 
and allow God to forgive all of your sin then therein lies the solution the problem is within but the solution is not within the solution has come from God and it's there to be had but we must believe it we must trust him and make him our Lord and Master in our lives in that sense there are then rules to follow there's a master to obey but the rules in their nature are not the rules of man don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that I've made up a new rule today, we better start applying it it's God's word and living in accordance with the will of God and the entrance into that path is through trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for those of us who have already made that decision it's good to refresh our minds and remind ourselves that that is the life that we live and to avoid being caught up inadvertently perhaps in following rules that are just man-made rules that end up being problematic but if you haven't made that decision if you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for your salvation then it's imperative that you get on that path and do that in order to be right with God and that you avoid this diverted path that's based on trying to do things whatever they may be however good in themselves they might be they avail nothing because God's way is through the Lord Jesus Christ shall we pray Father we give thanks that in your word we read of the the importance of it and we recognise that what is in your word is from yourself that the Bible is not the writings of a number of men who happened to write good things but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit they were inspired to write these things and it reveals you to us and indeed your son came into this world to reveal you to us we thank you that he gave himself we thank you that he offers himself as our substitute and that we can be made right with you to overcome the problem of our sin we do indeed pray that each and every one here might know that salvation And that we might live in the joy of it, following after him day by day. And we'd ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.